0: Welcome to 3 Minute Warning, a Canadian Football League podcast. My name is Bill Beer at PigskinPunk13 on Twitter. And joining me, as always, Dallas Bergen at CFLFansToronto on Twitter. And this is Season 2, Episode 6 of 3 Minute Warning. How's it going, Dallas?
1: Hey, I'm doing all right, Bill. Great to be with you again tonight. I've uh, had a great week with my parents visiting from Regina. Oh, they yeah. are first visiting in a couple of years, so it's been really nice having a great time in Toronto, having great weather here, so
0: yeah, feeling good. That's awesome. That's awesome.
1: How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. Doing good. There's uh, a lot of news this week, you know?
1: Oh, holy cow. Yeah, just some um, huge headlines. We just came came off a really exciting week with uh, I mean I didn't I hadn't given Toronto or Saskatchewan a chance last week so I was pretty excited to come away with wins. They both seemed like shockers to me but yeah yeah we'll dive into those things but yeah let's get to let's get to some of those headlines so first off um, wow Gary Stern is no longer with us on Twitter and will no longer represent the Alouettes on the CFL Board of Governors, and will no longer be representing the team. Um, Gary Stern is a minority shareholder, 25% in the ownership group of the Montreal Alouettes, which includes the late Sid Spiegel's estate. That's Gary's late father-in-law. There were obviously lots of things going on behind closed doors that, that we weren't aware of as Gary was pouring his whole self into promoting the Alouettes in the league, and poof, it all just vanished before our eyes uh, this week. It's a really, really sad day.
0: And I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that, you know, that was going to happen, just by his interaction with fans. And, you know, I didn't realize that he was a 25% minority owner. I had no idea... And I know ownership in the CFL is a little different than you know other leagues, but uh, this was kind of shocking. It hap- that happened the way it did, and I don't think we've got the full story behind the scenes because there had to be something that you know made him abruptly just just quit everything, close up shop on Twitter, and and uh, yeah, it, w- it was very shocking. I mean, it was very enjoyable. The way he engaged fans and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it really was. I mean, after Nathan Rourke, I think Gary Stern and his unabashed (laughs) engagement with CFL fans and media on Twitter that that's been the second biggest story of the CFL this year. And yeah, that's that's a huge loss. He was creating tons of buzz, you know, with the weekly guaranteed win and the challenges, uh, you know, to to the, the pundits and clapping back at every criticism towards the owls. I mean, he was going as far as I, I wonder if this is what maybe got the muzzle put on him. He was really pushing to try and get Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to endorse the Montreal Alouettes. Uh. And I don't know if that was the bridge too far, but yeah, clearly this, um, you know, the estate uh, wanted to sell the team. And so I think he was kind of desperately trying to convince them that they had an asset worth continuing to hold on to. And I guess it just broke and the puzzle came out and I don't think we'll hear from Gary Stern again, sadly.
0: Right. And I do think one of the effects of uh, Gary Stern, you know, stepping down and, and everything, was the trade that we got here from uh, Vernon Adams Jr. was traded to the BC Lions for a first-round pick, and I did hear that, that Gary w- really didn't want to trade Vernon Adams Jr., so it sort of it sort of happened really quick after the news earlier in the week, so I don't know if that was related or, or what exactly, but that's a heck of a trade for the BC Lions, and for all our American fans that you know, the CFL draft is different than your American because it's only Canadians that get drafted. So this first-round pick, um, how do you feel about that, a first-rounder going for Vernon Adams Jr.?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the expected going rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, the first first-round draft picks often don't work out. I mean, right. certainly they can end up being huge stars, in the league but it's such a strange thing with the CFL draft where the you know the very best Canadian players who are eligible for the CFL draft they're also getting drafted by the NFL. Yeah. And so it's not always a matter of picking the best player available. You're you're kind of playing this game to see, you know, who's going to be the best player available that uh you know isn't going to get the looks south of the border or you're thinking who's a guy that's a long-term investment that we are sure is going to maybe go to some nfl camps uh exhaust all of the opportunities over two or three years but then will likely return to the cfl and you know and commit the (laughs) to play in their career in that league. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. But uh, what's interesting about this trade is that uh, Vernon Adams started his career in BC and his rights, uh, so again, American players aren't drafted in the CFL, but there are negotiation lists, exclusive lists um, by each team. And so Vernon Adams Jr. was on the negotiation list for the BC Lions and his rights to negotiate were traded to Montreal in uh, 2016 for a first-round draft pick. So Vernon Adams was worth a first-round draft pick before he ever set foot in the league, and after having been a proven and dynamic starter, is, again, worth a first-round draft pick.
0: And it's sort of like a one-year rental, I would assume. But it actually may be more than that, because you don't know what's going to happen to uh, Nathan Rourke. You know, because... Before this injury, he was gonna gauge some interest from the NFL. So this might be, you know, something that they hang on to. I, I just don't know. We don't know what the future holds, but it surely makes an interesting trade. It, it it I for one am a big VA fan. I hated to see him on the sidelines. He has so much talent. So much athletic ability and i loved watching him play so i'm excited about this and i'm excited to watch him on the bc lines and hopefully he gets the start next week they're on a bye week this week so it should be pretty interesting
1: yeah this is excited and you you may be right it may be he could be there in the future i think Mm -hmm. i think there were other teams that were probably interested but uh, maybe the situation in bc certainly to start you would think for the remainder of this year and and then in the future, and then Vernon Adams Jr.'s connection to Oregon, to Northern California, um, home and, you know, his college career. And so that connection of the Pacific Northwest may have played in, too. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's a I think it's good for everyone. And you know who it's really great for is the fans. Oh, because yeah. Vernon Adams Jr. needs to be playing in the CFL. I don't know if you read Marshall Ferguson's CFL piece.
0: I saw it. I didn't get a chance to read it, it now.
1: Yeah, it was just outstanding, uh, titled What the Adams Jr. Trade Could Mean for BC. But in it, um, in one section, he talks about how Vernon Adams Jr. is like a quarterback of the the 90s in the CFL when 5,000 yards passing was not unusual. And lots of times quarterbacks mm-hmm. threw almost as many interceptions as as touchdowns. But uh, guys were, were airing the ball out. Deep, you know just tons of deep exciting passes and and 500 yards of offense in a lot of games Um, we saw quarterbacks throwing 40 touchdowns in a season just some incredible numbers at that time period and ferguson was saying you know as as much as he respects the game and this current climate which is a very conservative offensive culture with uh you know the, the screen passes and short routes and quarterback draws and you know a lot of safe plays uh that that's the way of the game right now he just said he you know loves to see and kind of laments the loss of of that wild uh, style of highly offensive football that we had in the 90s and yeah we need man we need this guy playing because it's exciting every time he takes the field
0: yeah absolutely that it's just uh, he's a special player i i just With those receivers in BC, I'm just looking forward to seeing what he can do. And I know the Hamilton Tiger Cats were interested, but there's no way, there's no way that I would trade them to somebody in my own division. Sorry, I I wouldn't have been able to do it. He had to go west. Had to go west.
1: That's always a consideration with trades for sure, especially in such a small league as the CFL. Trades are very rarely within the same division. We saw another trade today, too, and uh, certainly not the headliner that Vernon Adams Jr. is, but this was a big trade by CFL standards. Uh, we don't see a lot of trades throughout the year quite often, and uh, this one being from west to east, the Edmonton Elks uh, acquired defensive lineman Avery Ellis, who had spent a few years in Ottawa, a really good career as a pass rusher. Uh, Acquired Avery Ellison, a third round pick in next year's draft from the Montreal Alouettes. Montreal making more moves. I don't know now that Gary Stern's out of the way. But in exchange for uh, a couple of solid players from Edmonton coming the other way, defensive lineman Thomas Costigan and defensive back Nafis Lyon, who has some pretty impressive stats in his uh, year and a bit with the Edmonton Elks. And so... Yeah, a bit of a bit of a big move there with kind of three starting starting caliber players and a draft pick going. Um, I can't totally explain this one, but uh, looking at where where these two teams are, I think I think making moves makes sense.
0: And Edmonton's been making lots of moves uh, on waivers and picking up guys, and you know they just had a big injury to their their maybe best player, Kenny Lawler who might be headed to, I know he's going to be out at least a couple weeks, but he might be headed to that six-game injured list. That would be such a big loss for this team. I don't know if they could, you know, recover from losing him. Uh, uh, Their season wasn't going exactly the way they want to, but losing him, that's a big loss.
1: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, and after we just saw him make one of the best catches I have ever seen in any league, and uh, for him to be, well, almost the only, but such Mm -hmm. a strong piece of that Edmonton offense, and one of the things really giving them hope for the future to to lose him is obviously devastating for the Elks, but again for us as fans as well that's uh that's a huge loss yeah. he was making a huge salary so the six game injured list does make sense that'll come off the cap if he serves that full duration but yeah they say this injury is usually two to three weeks uh who knows if they're so far out of the hunt they may choose to leave kenny lawler on that injured list so they can save that uh, that cap space and Bring in a whole bunch more players (laughs) through the revolving door that is the Edmonton Elks. And eventually Chris Jones will settle on his defense for the next year or two. But uh, clearly he is still looking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the one thing that I wanted to ask you real quick before we get into these games is... I hear I've been and anybody's been listening to this. I'm. This is my second CFL season. First full season since last year was a little shortened season. But Labor Day, us American fans don't. We have Labor Day here. What's the big deal about Labor Day in the CFL? Tell me what's what's Labor Day in the CFL like.
1: Yeah, I think there's just a. Great long tradition of the the rivalry, the great rivalries in the CFL, playing each other on that weekend, and they are rivalries with uh, with locales close enough that fans can travel, and so quite often, you know, these games are sold out, uh, even. In years when teams aren't drawing well, the Labor Day game will often sell them because uh, fans from Edm- Edmonton will make the trip to Calgary, and from Winnipeg to Saskatchewan, and Toronto to Hamilton. So uh, there is that piece uh, of the of the local rivalries. Uh, I think another piece of it is it's you know it's a holiday long weekend. It's also the the real end of summer and back to school, and so it's it's an event in that regard. And I think the coming of fall, because the CFL starts so early at the end of June, that it marks the beginning of the last half of the CFL season. And that's fall football, and that's the playoff races. And so, you know, they quite often say that um, after Labor Day, every game matters because all of the playoff seating is, is getting sorted out. But yeah, it's a great, great tradition with those with those rivalries. And now Ottawa and Montreal as well are are developing one. We've seen Ottawa and Montreal both in and out of the league at different times over the last 40 years. Uh, but it's great that, uh, that we have that. And hopefully at one point, we can get a 10th team in this league too. So those rivalry traditions are league-wide.
0: Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. So no, I'm looking forward to with it. I like how they have the games spread out throughout the weekend, so that's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. So, how about we head into this past week's games, and we're going to start out uh, Thursday night. It was the Calgary Stampeders heading to the Winnipeg, uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Winnipeg ended up taking that 31-29, but in this game, I guess the big story of this game, no bowline Bo Levi Mitchell starting, Jake Mayer was getting his first start. And I tell you what, Jake Mayer may not come out of that starting lineup the way he played this past week because he was incredible.
1: Sure was. Wow, what a... I mean, if your completion rate's higher than Zach Kalaros, you know you're doing well. And uh, they, they matched one another with the exact same yardage at 294, but Jake Mayer had three TDs. Uh, no interceptions, and an 82% completion rate. All better than the game that that Zach was able to put up. And yet, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, all they do is win. It's There's nothing not to like about this team, except the fact that they just keep winning. It It's getting tiresome. I They're so good. You yeah, know, that... when Nick Dembski comes back, has a big game with eight receptions for 117 and a touchdown. Um, with Ellingson out, Greg McRae, uh, you know, a running back, listed as running back, starts in the slot, makes some huge catches for them, 95 yards for him and a big touchdown. And uh, yeah, just that, that win by Winnipeg in some ways overshadowed a great game from, I think, the whole Stampeders team, but especially Jake Mears' start and the return of Malik Henry, who who had seven catches for 122 yards and three touchdowns that's your fantasy pick of
0: the week not not bad for a return yeah my 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 Dalton Schoen didn't didn't show up this week he uh this is the first disappointing week he had and Malik Henry oh my goodness if you pulled the trigger on that uh you made out pretty well that we had the return of Kadim Carey who did decent he only got 11 carries but a 5.6 average this was, this was a, a fun game, and, and, you know, Winnipeg is one of these teams that you just said you're tired of them winning, but, you know, they aren't this, they don't, and their coach, it begins with their coach, he's not this arrogant guy that you, like, uh, is easy to dislike and that sort of thing, it's like they're just so good and they just go about their business and, and they know how to win, they know how to win. So Zach Caleros didn't exactly have a perfect day, but they were able to pull this out and you somehow knew that they were going to pull this out.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a classy organization with great staff, great recruiting, great player development. It's uh, it's pretty impressive to see. And yeah, even, even being one of the, one of the hated rivals of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I, I do have so much respect for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers what they've done over these years it's it's really really impressive
0: yeah I have to agree and I, I don't know who's gonna you know who's gonna stop them I mean I, I just don't know I don't know right now they're they're the number one team in the CFL and it doesn't look like they're gonna that's gonna be changing anytime soon I just don't know who who can take them down. Surely isn't going to be those Hamilton Tiger Cats.
1: There sure isn't. They were a disappointment in Toronto this week. Now, they did struggle with some injury at the quarterback position, but Hamilton came into Toronto and didn't put forth their best effort, losing 20-37 to 37 in a game where the Toronto Argonauts' defense really shone. Uh, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that they were last in the takeaway category. And in these last couple weeks, that Argos defense has totally stepped up when we had three interceptions from Jamal Peters alone in this one. Four sacks from the defense, a forced fumble. Uh, Winton McManus with 11 tackles. Just, you know, they were flying around on defense. And then looking at the Argos offense, McLeod Bethel-Thompson had a pretty solid game throwing three TDs as well. No no Argos receiver was dominant, but uh, all of those receivers were, were used pretty evenly across the board and together they were able to put in a really solid win over Hamilton who had uh, Dane Evans come out of the game. And with Matthew Schultz going in and kind of sparked some life, breathed some life into the Tie cats going 13 to 15, driving for a touchdown. And then Schiltz smacked his hand on a helmet, uh, which we've since learned is going to be a four to six week injury. And Dane Evans came back and he threw the game away literally again. <laughs> oh tough times in Hamilton
0: yeah definitely tough times and I guess watching this game at the beginning here I I I started to cringe a little because being an Argos fan I didn't see much in that first half I saw you know Hamilton getting getting um you know on a roll here and just McLeod didn't look too good in the first half he he really wasn't and you know he's hearing the chance of uh, the Chad Kelly. You know they want him to come in, but then the second half, I don't know. You know Brandon Banks. I've been complaining about him for weeks that he, he he's like does nothing. And then all of a sudden they started to use him differently in this game. Why do you think they waited to this game to use Brandon Banks? Because they used him in a way that they got him into some open space and um. I think there was a couple plays there that he really made a difference in this game.
1: Yeah, that's a great observation. I think they were really trying to force these long passes to Banks, and and that really hasn't been his skill. You know, he had one good year in Hamilton where he really was a deep threat, but um, you know, the rest of the time, he's he's a guy that's made those long not long receptions, but long yardage gains by catching the ball in space and using his speed and elusiveness. And yeah, I think, what do you, four catches, I think, and mm-hmm. uh, really made made some plays. And so then it was nice a 14-yard run. A little, little bit of chemistry there. Um, see him lead the team in, in receiving yards, I think. And yeah, so really positive for, for the Argos fans. It's I know it's disappointing for those fans that want a quarterback change. And yeah, really uplifting to see the offense come together and the defense in particular really shine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was, uh, being an Argos fan, the, the the second half of this game was a lot of fun. And I'm sure being there in person was even better. But um, they kind of proved... You know, they have the talent that they could beat almost anybody when they utilize their talent. I mean, I just don't know. They're they're a team that has scratch in my head sometimes, so I don't know what... And, and if you're a Hamilton fan, I don't know what... Dane Evans is your guy. You're just going to have to go with him. There, there's nobody else, I don't think.
1: Yeah, that's right. And he um, didn't even practice today, and nor did Matt Schiltz, so... Uh, I think you have to think Dane Evans will be healthy. This this wasn't even day one today because they they play on Monday. So, but uh, yeah, that quarterbacking situation in Hamilton is is a tough one for them right now with the injuries and and yeah, they probably would have loved to have acquired Vernon Adams Jr. Yeah. We'll see if uh, Dane can work his way out of this funk. I mean, we've seen him look like an elite CFL quarterback, and so uh,
0: maybe it's still me. in there have we
1: fans are starting to turn
0: have we have we really seen him elite what what i'm going to say here is from what i've seen he can't win a big game he can't win the game when the pressure is on he just hasn't been very good in my opinion in the last 2 years and i'm only talking the last 2 years so yeah, i don't well, maybe true i i don't know i don't know we will see this week you know it's labor day game anything could happen you know we're back in hamilton this is the the fourth the fourth game between the teams so we will see it's gonna be interesting that's
1: for sure yeah uh just the last thing I found so interesting now now there were a lot of turnovers forced- mm-hmm. on the Hamilton tie cats but would you believe that Hamilton only punted two times in this game
0: yeah if you would uh would yeah no I wouldn't have believed that not at all it didn't feel like that.
1: That's one of those outlier stats. Yeah. Oh, and I still want the Argonauts to find a punt returner. Goodness. Oh right. It's not all roses. Yeah.
0: Leak um, looks a little better, but yeah, they still can't
1: get any room. No space. Yeah. They had DeJon Brissett back there and Banks, but uh, yeah. nothing. Nothing is happening in the return game. whether right. Kickoffs with Curly Gittens Jr. or Javon Leak or other guys on punt return. It's. I think this is. One of the aspects that's hurting his team, I I would sure like to see them address it.
0: Right, absolutely. So we had a late Friday game and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders headed in to face the BC Lions. It was the Michael O'Connor era, the beginning of that, but that really didn't last too long. He got injured. Former Argo Antonio Pipkin came in and the Lions just couldn't do too much. And I think that's why we saw... The Vernon Adams trade, it just uh, definitely not the same team we'd seen before with Rourke. And Cody Vajardo had an excellent game passing the ball. Frankie Hickson had an excellent game running the ball, 129 yards rushing, an 8.6 average. And Keenan Schaefer-Baker had this touchdown on like a deep, you know, in route. And it was amazing. Hit him in stride. It was an 81-yard touchdown. It was pretty awesome. But yeah, the the uh the Saskatchewan Rough Riders took this game and I wasn't expecting this. I don't know what you were expecting as a Saskatchewan fan, but was this what you expected?
1: Not at all. <laughs> no, I I had I had lost my faith in in the riders and and Cody Fajardo a little bit too. And, you know, a lot of people questioned Craig Dickinson when he came out in the middle of the week and said, Cody Fajardo is our guy. He is our leader. He is our best chance to win. And we're going to start him this week and we're going to ride with him because this is his team. And given some of Fajardo's recent performances, there were a lot of fans that were unhappy about that unwavering support of Fajardo as the starting quarterback but you know what that's why we're not the head coach (laughs) because it seems like that was exactly the vote of confidence that Fajardo needed and he just came out slinging like we haven't seen in I think years since 2019 you know he's throwing with so much authority and confidence in himself throwing it with confidence in his receivers you know like before their break throwing the ball deep the 50-50 balls he was just He just put it all out there. And uh, I love that you mentioned the Keon Schaefer-Baker pass that coming across the middle because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would think the other one was the highlight, you know, the, the one that the defender tipped and he bobbled it and ended up taking it for a huge play, 75 or 85 yards. But the one you named, that was one where Cody threw a perfect pass hitting him right in stride, as you mentioned. And that would have given so much hope to to Ryder fans to see the way that he placed that ball perfectly. And then, you know, Tevin Jones went up and got a great touchdown later on in the game. And, oh man, if you're a Ryder fan, there was a lot to get excited about in this one. And now you're coming coming home to Labor Day, which is always a great time. And then honestly, the team, I think, always overperforms on Labor Day too. So I know you're playing the best team in the league but they might be able to get something going here i probably shouldn't just talk about saskatchewan but (laughs) looking at bc too uh it was sad to see how poorly michael o'connor started and sad to see him injured of course too but he did start six of 15 and um yeah nathan rourke is every bit as good as we thought, you know, I think you and I even made the joke that, that we could be decent quarterbacks throwing to those BC Lions receivers. Uh, and yet, clearly, clearly Nathan Rourke is, oh my goodness, the real deal. Because, yeah, BC couldn't get much going on offense. I mean, both their, their completion percentage, I think, was under 50% combined. And so I guess we should be careful not thinking Saskatchewan put on too much of a show when when BC just wasn't able to effectively move the ball
0: yeah yeah absolutely it was yeah it was something to see considered and you know the way that they've been playing and that sort of thing
1: well we'll go to ottawa and edmonton but last thing i want to say about that riders and bc game is i don't know if you noticed and it's almost better if you don't there were nine penalties called in this game i think uh maybe even less than 100 yards combined and so this one was a real treat to watch without the interruption oh they did miss an offside on a touchdown i guess that was a little disappointing but you know to see a game that flows so well without all the penalty flags i, I don't there's I roughing a passer but i'm not sure if there were misconduct penalties like it was just enjoyable to watch with a good flow of the game with officials just doing their job and not getting in the way any more than that i'd love to see that for more of our games really well called
0: yeah yeah
1: Absolutely. All right, the last game of the week turned out to be a pretty, well, relatively exciting one between Ottawa and Edmonton. Ottawa coming into Edmonton. Edmonton on day 1,000 and, I don't know, 87, I'm making that up, you know, since their last win at home. Nick Arbuckle getting the start after a pretty impressive relief outing the week before. And he's going up against a team that really didn't give him a chance. Nick Arbuckle leads Ottawa to three state straight touchdown drives in the first half. What do you think of this one, Bill?
0: Um, Yeah, I didn't know what to expect in this game, and I thought maybe the Elks would, you know, get their first win of the season. Nick Arbuckle coming in, and he didn't do terrible. I mean, he didn't have any touchdown passes. Um, uh, The Elks are kind of hard to figure out, and they actually had a chance there at the end to tie it up, but Kenny Lawler was out at that point. I mean, he had three receptions, 146 yards, if you don't count, you know, him in. I mean, their their receivers didn't get a lot of action at all. I just don't know where they're going to go to go forward in this game. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Their offense is just not very good. And the Red Blacks are not a bad team. They aren't. They might be, you know, only have two wins on the season, but they're not out of it as far as the playoffs at all and you know they put a couple wins together who knows so i mean it has to be dis disappointed for the edmonton elks you know haven't had a home win since 2019 and i don't know i don't know what to say i know they've had some injuries and that sort of thing and i i don't know what direction they they should go into you know
1: yeah this was a Tough one for them and their fans. I mean, they they did cut the lead to seven at the very end and got the ball back with a minute and eleven left. You thought that maybe there was a chance they might be able to drive for a TD and take it to overtime, but really they really weren't in this game at all either. Yeah. And and yeah, and then to be in that situation without Kenny Lawler and now to be without him for a number of weeks. I mean, he's been there entire Offense. This is a team that that doesn't have a running game at all. Um, Receiving core has been really unproductive after Lawler, and you know when I saw that really poor body language from Darrell Walker again, to just poor, poor effort on a few plays, and yeah, it's got to be so frustrating uh, for that. that team yeah on the other side really really cool to see what was well a a big game from nate bahari he made some amazing catches oh yeah also made also made two fumbles after his catches one was almost tremendously costly but after a second look they they ruled that uh ottawa did maintain possession Mm -hmm. and got the ball on the one yard line or close to uh but uh he had his first 100 yard game with some great catches and that was really exciting to see um but yeah tough uh tough times for the Edmonton Elks and Ottawa is building a little bit of momentum I think I think they have a chance against Montreal this week
0: yeah I think they do too and the one thing that you know being said with you know their owner Gary Stern stepping down is how it was going to affect the team. And I just wonder I don't know if it's going to affect the team at all in that way. But the Ottawa seem, uh, both teams seem to be headed in an upward trend um, as of late. So we'll see. That might be a pretty good game this weekend.
1: Yeah, could be. Well, that's the first of our previews for this week. So we do have Ottawa at Montreal on Friday before the Labor Day weekend games. Um, and yeah, things in Montreal off the field certainly are in a bit of disarray. Can Can Ottawa take advantage of that and ride Nick Nick Arbuckle's strong performances
0: mm-hmm.
1: into Montreal, or or will the Montreal uh, will the Montreal team? rally around one another while there are all these headlines in the news about the off-field operations and pull out a great win
0: yeah absolutely it should be interesting that's for sure then we got sunday 6 p.m game winnipeg heads to saskatchewan that should be an interesting game Uh, saskatchewan coming off a win and um we'll see will we get the same cody fajardo will we get the same you know, uh, apparently better offensive line play. Um, But uh, we have Winnipeg who's been Winnipeg. So we'll see what happens in this game.
1: Yeah, I think it's a stretch for Saskatchewan. And yet I think anything can happen on Labor Day. Uh, I think Shaq Evans should return this week. That could give Cody Fajardo another boost, another, you know, weapon. And a guy that he's really familiar with and has had great chemistry with. So See if that makes a difference, um, but yeah, that should be should be a great game. Should be a great game and a great time because I imagine that'll be a sellout in Saskatchewan with lots of Winnipeg fans making the trip. And then uh... we go to Monday games. We've got Toronto going down the QEW to Hamilton. This is an early afternoon game Monday at one o'clock, uh, but that should be should be good as well. We'll see what happens with the quarterback position for the Hamilton Tie Cats. Uh, Jamie Newman took first team reps at quarterback today, um, but uh, this this from Matthew Shinetti, but this is day zero of practice, mm-hmm. so day one, two, and three are the real practice days, so we'll take a look to see if Dane Evans is out there with the ones tomorrow.
0: Yeah, definitely. This should be another interesting, you know, this is the third of four games, so we'll see. I totally expect it to be like you know, then to end up like two and two, but it would be nice if if Toronto could get the upper hand and come out of this like three and one. So we'll definitely see. And then that fourth game of the weekend, you know, it was a four thirty Edmonton at Calgary. I don't expect this to be much of a game, but but I don't know. I I look for Calgary and Jake Mayer to to roll in this one.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Calgary's just gotten even better. I mean, they were missing three really great players in Jameer Thurman, Brandon Dozier, and Julian Good-Jones. All three of them have just been taken off the sixth game. Uh, remains to be seen if they will all play this week. But uh, Calgary should should just be getting better, and with uh, the healthy Kareem Carey and uh, Jake Mayer rolling, I I imagine this one won't be close, but uh, but who knows? And, and, again, no no Kenny Lawler for Edmonton. What are they going to do on offense?
0: Right, exactly. Darrell Walker, it's time to step up.
1: Yeah, him and a whole bunch of other guys.
0: <laughs> so we had another week of fantasy, CFL fantasy. How did you do?
1: Oh, it wasn't a great week. I was, you know, my team was actually not bad. You remember I went out and took Greg McRae. Mm-hmm. As a running back, when he was starting at the slot, that turned out to be my best pick with 21.7 points, uh, over 100 yards of offense for McRae and a touchdown. I had Michael O'Connor. Now, he wasn't off to having a great game by any means, but getting hurt early in that one really hurt. He ended up with three 3.8 points. Uh, Brady Oliveira was all right, 8.6. I had Kenny Lawler, <laughs> always a good pick, mm-hmm. 17.6. Sean Bain didn't work out this week with Malik Henry stealing the spotlight. Uh, That was a bit of a dud at 3.5. Stephen Dunbar was okay with 13. And I had the Elks for four points on defense for a total of 72 points. How about you?
0: So I had, um, my quarterback was uh, Taylor Cornelius, had 27.4, pretty good for my quarterback. And then I had uh, Milanovic, Lee Trey, 9.8, did okay. Brady Oliveira, 8.6, was okay. But then, yeah, I went with Kenny Lawler, which was, that's going to hurt in fantasy too with him not being in there. He was always pretty solid, 17.6. And then I went with two pretty duds that had been done pretty decent lately. Dalton Schoen, 5.4, and Sean Bain, 3.5. And then Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense, a big, fat, zero put me at 72.3 points which it was like uh, about a point behind you or so
1: i think i was also 72.3 well i'm glad i didn't lose any ground
0: yeah (laughs) well there you go i mean it was so
1: let me ask a strategy or maybe just a philosophy question of you so when you have a guy like dalton Schoen or sean bain who you go to week after week and they perform well and then they do absolutely nothing do you stick with them the next week or are you still disgruntled Well, enough it, it depends who not it is. It?
0: <laughs> i think i'm gonna stay away from sean bain this coming week because we haven't got enough from him to see you know a consistent on a consistent basis i probably go back to dalton Schoen, but Um, the players I picked this week, I went back to neither. So, so we'll see. I I made some different picks this week.
1: Oh, let's hear who you've got.
0: So I went with Jake Mayer, you know, against Edmonton. That's a pretty decent pick. Uh, Frankie Hickson at one running back position. And then I have Brady Oliveira. And then I went to somebody that I haven't used all year. And I've been complaining about all year. And I went with Brandon Banks at Hamilton. And I was just thinking, if they was creative last week, then this week they're going to try to get him the ball and be creative too, possibly. And then I stuck Tim White and Keenan Schaefer-Baker in there. And no defense, because my defense has given me two fat zeros the last two weeks, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not putting in a defense.
1: Well, I'm with you there. My maybe my first week this year. <laughs> yeah. I also did not take a defense. I hope. I hope Banks works out for you. But the last time they went yeah, in no. to Hamilton, <laughs> which was only a month ago, I had the exact same thought. And Banks had two catches on ten attempts. I think. Uh, yes. <laughs> but hey, you might be right. They might try again, and uh, maybe he could build on what was not a bad performance last week. So that sounds all right. I like. I like you. Putting yourself out there on some of those picks. I took Jake Mayer, too. I mean, Jake Mayer at home against Edmonton. How how couldn't you? So I've got him, too. And Kadeem Carey, expecting Calgary to win big and to run the ball at the end of the game. So I imagine Carey could have a lot of yards there.
0: And, I mean, his uh, price point is 8080 And the only people that are below him is Dane Evans that is starting in Arbuckle.
1: That's it. For Mayer. yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, that's a steal. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't? Right. Yeah, and I've got Malik Henry as well. Uh, hopefully that's the right Stampeders receiver pick. It's always <laughs> hard to know who the guy right. is. Although I think we've established Kamar Jordan is not the guy after another one catch performance last week. No, definitely not. And, of course, as I say that, maybe he's the one to go over 100 yards this week. Who knows? Uh, I've also got Frankie Hickson and Shaq Evans. You can tell I'm I'm hoping for a good rider outing, which may be long shots. Uh, I've got to check the depth charts when they come out to see if Shaq Evans is actually going to play. But if he does play, I imagine he and Cody are going to try and get clicking together. And Frankie Hickson, goodness, what a game against BC and uh, so explosive. I mean, his yards per carry was just phenomenal. Uh, he showed incredible burst. More, I mean, Morrow's amazing, but Frankie Hickson has more explosiveness uh, and burst than, than Morrow does. And wow, what a treat to have both of them in the backfield in this
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And rounding all my picks, I've got Darvin Adams. Uh, we'll see how that works out.
0: We'll see. you got a little bit more catching up to do. I'm still in the lead here. Not by a whole lot. You're only like, uh, what is that, 13, 18 points, about 18 points behind me.
1: I hope we keep staying close because it's uh, it's making this really fun all year long. Oh, right, yeah. It's a great race, and we want to invite anyone else to join us. Join our CFL Fantasy League. Search for the three-minute warning on uh, CFL uh, Fantasy. And you can join our CFL Pick'Em, as well, we don't talk about it on the show very often, but mm-hmm. we still love to have other fans in the group with us doing their best. And I guess a comment regarding that, I'll say that the the CFL.ca, whenever they put out the picks of of the pundits each week, I look at their records, and they are all doing amazingly well in CFL Pick'em with like records of twenty eight and you know eighteen or something like that, uh which. I'll tell you it's hard to do. So if you're gonna pick 'em, search for three minute warning as well. And maybe CFL fans Toronto too. Join those couple of groups with those couple of games. We'd love to have you join us.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You can kick our butts because it wouldn't be difficult. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh this episode of uh three minute warning. We hope you uh enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun. This is always a lot of fun getting together. We've been on a, on a roll here. The there was a few weeks that we uh, got a little busy over the summer, but now we're on a roll. We should be here every week.
1: Yeah, loving it. want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, thanks for joining us on 3-Minute Warning. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.
0: Okay, see you later.